Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. The Wise Tradition Speaker Series continues as today I interview Hannah Crum of Kombucha Camp. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. As the federal government has been shut down now for about two weeks, the salmonella outbreak in chicken has been widely reported. 278 people in 18 states have been sickened by it. Some of the Center for Disease Control workers have been called back into work to explore the outbreak. But the major problem has really been ignored. Journalist David Gumpert of TheCompletePatient.com nails it on the head that the real problem is the USDA won't restrict the use of antibiotics on farms despite the CDC reporting that every year over 2 million people are becoming sick from antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Moving on to state government news, the Legislative Committee in Hawaii has presented a bill which bars biotech companies like Monsanto, DuPont, and Pioneer from planting genetically modified crops such as corn and soybeans anywhere on the island. It would still allow for GMO papaya, which is currently being grown there. I'd like to see GMO papaya be banned too, but this is a good start to eliminating these frankenfoods. Also on Hawaii, on the island of Kauai, residents are pushing the city council to pass a bill that would decrease biotech chemical use on the island. The bill would require for biotech companies to disclose what pesticides they're spraying, where they're being sprayed, and in what quantities. The bill also would mandate buffer zones between biotech fields and public areas such as parks, roadways, and waterways. Two great efforts being made by different islands on Hawaii. If only the rest of the country could be as progressive in the fight against GMOs and pesticides. In other state news, South Dakota is proposing new regulations on raw milk. In South Dakota, currently people can only buy raw milk on farms. The proposed rules require changes in everything from labeling to more testing to setting standards for the amount of healthy bacteria allowed in it. The news about limiting the amount of healthy bacteria is the most frightening among all the proposed regulations, as healthy bacteria is why I and many others recommend drinking raw milk. And finally, states like Hawaii are making positive strides to fight GMOs, but it's still an uphill battle against these biotech companies as Monsanto Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer is going to be named a World Food Prize Laureate. The World Food Prize is supposed to recognize achievement of individuals who've improved the quality, quantity, and availability of food worldwide. Turns out the World Food Prize is as out of touch with food safety as other organizations like the FDA and the USDA. And now, for the main course. With less than four weeks to go until the Wise Traditions Conference, we have another guest that will be speaking in Atlanta. As the theme of this year's conference is Curing the Uncurable, Holistic Therapies for Chronic Disease, one day of the conference will have an entire track all about holistic methods to prevent and cure cancer. Among those speaking in the track is my good friend and frequent guest to the show, Hannah Crum. As most of you already know, Hannah has found a kombucha camp, which sells kombucha brewers and starter kits making her website the most popular page on the internet for kombucha. Her presentation is titled Kombucha Therapy, Historic and Modern Applications for Healing Cancer and Disease. 
Hannah, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Aaron. Always great to be back. And it's always great to have you here. So this is your fourth time. You'll soon be eligible for our five-time members club, kind of like Saturday Night Live has. Woo-woo. And of course, I appreciate that you're able to fit this in with your schedule because I swear, I look at your Facebook page and every week you're at another convention, fair, festival, promoting the great news about kombucha. It certainly has been a busy year and we anticipate it's only going to keep getting busier what with writing the book and that'll be published hopefully out next year around this time or early 2015 and um, we're also keeping really busy with founding the Kombucha Brewers International which is a nonprofit trade association bringing all of the commercial companies together to promote kombucha as a whole so getting more information and education into uh, consumers Put it, pulling our resources to do some regulate uh, to do some research together, as well as you know creating some some industry standards so that we can regulate from within. And of course, I do all this work with my partner um, Alex Ligori, who is you know he is the the silent partner behind Kombucha Camp. But together, we are the team that makes it all happen. And another one of the things you're doing, I gave a little intro to it in my introduction for you, is speaking at the Wise Traditions Conference in Atlanta, which is coming up in little over a month and your speech is specifically about kombucha and cancer so how did you end up uh, doing this speech with kombucha and how it can help cancer sure well you know what's really fun about doing these types of topics is um, when I heard the theme of the of the conference this year you know kombucha has been used to heal from a, a huge variety of chronic diseases and I was really up for the challenge of learning more about what cancer is and, and how it works. And because I already knew that there was a doctor out there, Dr. Rudolf Sklenar, who in the 60s, actually in the 40s, he started his work. He worked for 40 years with patients using kombucha, using a kombucha-specific protocol, helping them to heal from all different kinds of cancers. So um, I was very excited to take that information and, and to share that with other people. And What's really interesting about all this, and I'm sure you you figure this stuff out the more you read, right? I don't, um, I get most of my knowledge from reading uh, everything I can about a subject. And, um, you know, what is cancer? That's really what this kind of all led me to wonder is what is cancer? We, we have a very um, seemingly specific knowledge about what it is but when you get down and when you start digging into it really people don't even totally know where it comes from or, or how it's caused and have you ever done a presentation like this before or is this something kind of new that you're doing this is um this is definitely at a different type of level in terms of um, the science and stuff that we're researching you know i wish we had human trials on kombucha because um, humans have been in a way, we have them. We just don't have it in the same kind of scientific method that we're used to seeing, say, drug trials. But, you know, humans have been consuming kombucha and other fermented foods since time immemorial to help with all of these types of chronic diseases. And and that's what's really fascinating is when you get down to looking at what the root cause is, more, more often than not, it is diet and stress. And when you look back historically, you realize, you know, Hippocrates kind of had some stuff figured out there. Um, you know, all diseases start in the gut and let food be thy medicine. I think those are two axioms that if we really live by that, we could we could certainly live a much healthier life. You've given a presentation before at the Wise Traditions Conference, and as I've explained, you've given lots of presentations on kombucha. 
Before you get into the cancer part, are you going to give some people a little background of what kombucha is for those that are unfamiliar with it? Absolutely. And, you know, that's woven throughout the entire presentation because, um, you know, what this brings me back to time and again, kombucha for me is a gateway into understanding what it means to be a human being. And, and through the study of the research of what it means to be a human being, really what I come down to again and again is we are bacteria sapiens and this very important crucial role that bacteria play in the normal functioning of our organism and in our immune system specifically is I mean it's it's so enlightening to to take a closer look at that type of research and the information that continues to come out about it you know whether that's the human microbiome project started in 2010 that's going inside and looking at that diverse rainforest of um, well, the diverse rainforest of bacteria that live in, in our guts and trying to understand how it works um, to the American Gut Project, which was funded by a Kickstarter program in which they're basically doing crowdsourcing to get a really huge, broad sample of people to, to try to start making some of these correlations. And, um, you know, even looking at how do bacteria function and, and what is their role? It, there's even conversations that they need to be reclassified, that they aren't, um, that they are their own kind of species and they're constantly evolving. So it's it's really fascinating when you go within, and I mean that like looking internally, looking at how cells work, looking at the mechanisms by which our body builds and repairs tissue and, and functions, is it's really fascinating to see the level to which bacteria are ubiquitous, they're all over inside and out, and the level to which they really keep everything moving as it should. And that's not just in humans, that's also in the soil. Um, bacteria are also what communicate in nutrition from the soil into the roots of plants in exchange for sugar. So it's, um, it's just fascinating to me to see how the microcosm and the macrocosm are so uh, interconnected. And really our biggest mission in bringing the message of kombucha to people is to help people get back in touch with their inner universe, bring that into balance so that instead of spending time being sick or worrying about treatment or not having any energy, they then have energy to go out and connect with others and, and help build a stronger community. And I think people will be interested in learning about that too, about how the cells function and all that, because we see that a lot of TV shows you watch, what's like CSI or those discovery shows that I think now is kind of the time where people are very much interested in seeing how stuff works inside and I think showing people how kombucha helps that function is related with it. Well, it's exciting to see us evolve. You know, it feels like sometimes looking at what's on TV, we are devolving, but um, there is also so much information about health and the human body and how things work. And granted, there's a lot of conflicting information out there, but when you wade through it all, I think that more and more people are paying attention to their bodies, more and more people are paying attention to their health. And and like I said, if you have a brain and can, can read, you, you can really learn a lot that um, maybe you didn't necessarily have a science background in school, but you, you can really understand a lot about how your body works. And then when you start experimenting right at home with your fermented foods and, and seeing how those um, do or don't apply to your body, I know we were just talking about some of the different kind of diets that are out there and the way that when we experiment with, um, you know, say cutting out gluten for a week or whatever, how does that make us feel? You know, we can kind of be the lab rat um, 
at in our own homes when we use food in that way. Yes, for those of you that don't know, before we started recording this program, we were talking a little about the whole gluten debate. Sometimes I feel like what David Letterman had said once that we have the most fun in between when the show is taping. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you definitely have good conversations throughout that. But, um, but, you know, it's just we are kind of becoming aware of how these choices directly affect and how we can immediately feel how those choices affect our bodies. And what's exciting about that is then we can start to make those correlations between, oh, when I eat nutrient-dense foods, I feel this way. When I eat um, junk food, which, hey, look, I live in the 21st century. I still eat some junk food here and there. Um, you know, I, I definitely notice a difference in my body when I'm eating that versus when I'm having something that supports my organism. What types of differences do you notice in your body? I guess for me, it's not often a notice of difference in my body. The bigger thing with me more is just that I find myself hungry again when I have junk food. Mm. Well, it's hungry again. And I think if I overdo it on the sugar, I definitely get like my, my tummy turns a little sour or I just, I just don't feel right inside. There's just something that's like almost, I don't know, I like pins and needles. I don't know where my skin's crawling a little. And it's not so extreme. It's not like I'm in a haunted house <laughs> or something, but, uh, but you know, it definitely, I can feel the difference in the, the feedback my body's giving me. And that's what's um, so amazing to me is how many people sit around the dinner table, putting food in their mouth that doesn't nourish them and complain about how terrible they feel without making the connection that what's making them feel bad is what they're putting in their bodies. And, um, and that's why kombucha is something that closes that loop. It closes that feedback loop. So you start to be able to feel how your body is responding to different things. And the, and the first way we do that is, you know, we suggest that people start by drinking kombucha first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. And that allows you to feel how the kombucha works in your organism. Uh, I know you drink kombucha. Do you ever notice something specific when when you have it in the morning or do you do it first thing in the morning? I don't often do it first thing in the morning because a lot of times I kind of try to separate drink from food. But um, mm -hmm. I like to do it often a little later in the morning to kind of fill the void between lunch and breakfast. And it can work as a great thing to make me feel satiated in between Right. Well, and it, but you get that feeling, right? You're like, oh, I feel yeah. what the kombucha is doing. It's giving me nutrition. It's giving me energy. I don't feel like I have to reach for that candy bar or whatever that go-to might have might have been before. But it, um, you know, what I feel first thing in the morning when I drink it is, you know, I, I have my little my kombucha with me. I'm walking the dog. I maybe throw a splash of water in there, and by the time I'm halfway around the block. I can feel inside my body, uh, my, my digestive system just kind of release. It like relaxes. It just goes, <sighs> and that feeling from the inside, relaxing from the inside is just, I mean, what, what else does that for you? I mean, sure, wine and things like that, you know, but I really love that feeling knowing that I'm giving my body what it needs. I'm giving it energy and I feel relaxed at the same time. And related with how kombucha can help your body, what are the ways that kombucha is beneficial to help people with cancer? Well, and this goes back again to what is cancer. And so when we when we find out, when we discover that that you know, cancer are there's two kind of things that are affecting the growth of cancer cells. One of them is the lack of apoptosis, which is um, natural cell death. And this is, you know, all of our cells are pre-programmed to die. 
right? Like imagine the planet, if nobody ever died, right. what would happen? <laughs> We'd be totally overcrowded. There wouldn't be any balance. It'd be crazy, right? So we have to have, um, and in our bodies, it's the same. If all, if none of our cells ever died, we would just be overrun and we wouldn't be the organism we are. So uh, our cells have to die at a certain point. And sometimes what happens is they mutate, right? Because cells are replicating constantly. And um, if for some reason, some kind of, whether that's a, a toxin, and, and in the research I've discovered, you know, most cancer is caused by toxic environment. It's um, very little of it is actually genetic, uh, although certainly genetics can play a role in that, especially when triggered by environmental toxins. But a lot, most cancer is brought on by toxins. And I was surprised to discover that most cancer is lung cancer, whether that's from smoking or, or, or not, that, that seems to be the most prevalent form of cancer that's, that's out there, which was interesting. That me. is interesting. It makes me kind of wonder, what is that? Could it be due to secondhand smoke as well as the people that smoke the cigarettes? There's that, but I think it's also just look at all the pollution around us. I mean, the air is, you know, whether that's from air travel or chemtrails or wherever, you know, the, the city's manufacturing. I mean, what it all is, it, it's hard, I think, to pinpoint one specific thing. But living in a toxic environment, knowing that we're getting inundated by them on all angles, right? So from the air we breathe, from the water we drink, from the food we eat. And you just think about it, like your body's constantly being assaulted by toxins from the, the chemicals you rub on your body, right? Um, your skin is absorbing everything because it is a, a living, breathing organ. And so we don't, we're not even conscious of how many things we're putting on our body. And like the canary in the coal mine, our body starts to freak out. And that's what, um, what we see is, is autoimmune disease and things like cancer, which, uh, you know, I don't know the exact definition for this stuff, but I feel like it is in a way kind of an autoimmune disease because it's responding to the immune system, not being able to keep up with getting rid of, um, malignant cells. And so one way that cancer grows is through this programmed cell death that stops happening. And the other way is when cells mutate and they look like, um, cells that belong in that body part and so they draw nutrition they become like a parasite they draw nutrition they continue to grow but those cells are mutated and so eventually they grow together into a hard mass and that's what the tumor is um, it's called neoplasm which uh, comes from the greek for new growth but once they kind of um, come together into that into that mass that's what a tumor is so unfortunately, most cancers aren't even detected until they've already passed over into a stage that's really, you know, till it's kind of too late. And that's what's great about something like kombucha is that um, it's specifically a detox. So it's helping to rid your body of toxins naturally on a daily basis, gradually, gently, as opposed to, you know, some kind of massive dose of, of detox, um, but allows the body to detox in a natural, gentle way so that even though every day, look, your body, my body, everybody's body is, has cancer cells living in it all the time. But if we are a normal, healthy, functioning organism, our body knows how to rid itself of those things. It's when we add all those other layers of pollution to our bodies and the stress as well, that then our bodies, they get overwhelmed and can't handle it. You were talking a little earlier about how there's all these toxins that we breathe. And there was a documentary that illustrate that point very well, unacceptable levels. It talks about issues of everywhere, from the air we breathe, to the food, to the cleaning products, to things such as sunscreen, mm. that that is a big problem. And perhaps lung cancer is because our lungs, that's how we 
ingest all the stuff that's out there. And as you talked about, kombucha can help because it's actually something that you use before there's a problem. In addition to cancer, what other diseases can kombucha help with healing? Right. So again, a lot of these diseases, when we get down to the root cause, are caused by just an immune system out of balance or gut dysbiosis. And a lot of it is caused by environment. So, uh, you know, the human body is the microcosm of the macrocosm, which is to say our planet, this universe, however you want to think about that. And so if we think about our, our bodies and, and the planet, and if we continue to dump toxins into it, whether that's, you know, food, pollution, or in the world, you know, oil in, <laughs> in places or fracking or whatever it is, um, the body gets overwhelmed and it can't defend itself. And so things like diabetes, things like um, Crohn's disease, IBS. So when the environment in our body gets out of balance and we need this kind of acid alkaline balance in order to maintain homeostasis. And the way we get that homeostasis is through the foods we eat. So the foods we eat create a chemical reaction in our body and if we're putting the wrong chemical inputs into our body, then we don't create the right environment for health. Instead, we create an environment that breeds disease. So a lot of uh, this information has shown that when we're consuming healthy, healthy organic acids, so I know we've heard a lot about pH and kind of acid, you don't want to have an acid pH in your body because that, that breeds disease. Well, we need to consider the source, you know, and that's like everything in our diet, right? What is the source of the fat? What is the source of the sugar? Is it coming from high fructose corn syrup? Is it coming from soybean oil or is it coming from lard and healthy fats? Or is it coming from, um, you know, consider the source. And so when we put the right source of healthy organic acids in our body, they have an alkalizing effect. So when we consume kombucha, which has a very acidic pH, in fact, it puts healthy acid back into the digestive tract where it needs to be because the, it's, it's basically like drinking stomach acid, which sounds weird and gross, but what I mean by that is it helps your body to digest and break down. And when you think about it, we evolved with these microorganisms. We evolved needing their help in order to extract nutrition from the foods that we put into our bodies. Because unlike plants and unlike some animals, we are not able to simply create all of the enzymes and amino acids that our bodies need. We're not, we don't photosynthesize, um, so we need the food in order to get that nutrition into our bodies. Well, we evolved with all these organisms helping us to process that, and as, as over time we've gotten more hygienic, um, you know, in some ways that's good. It's good to clean up the sanitation, but in other ways we've kind of gone over, right? It's not in balance. We've gone over to the extreme of like, you know, antibacterial soaps or, or frequent antibiotics when we don't necessarily need them and things like that. And what's happened is we've tipped the balance so that um, now we're too hygienic and we don't have our friends helping us digest food and we wonder why it's so difficult and we feel so terrible. And going along with kombucha and health, I know that you've talked in the past about how some of the people that live the longest and healthiest lives in the world consumed culture foods, including kombucha. What are some of these cultures? Sure. Well, um, look, every culture, you can pick up Sandor Katz's book, Art of Fermentation, and he's got examples of fermented fruits from every single culture. Or you look at Dr. Weston Price and his research, he didn't find a single culture, a traditional culture that he studied that didn't have a fermented food as part of its sacred foods, as part of its, you know, the, the very special foods that provided a lot of nutrition. So, 
whether it's fermented grains that we find in Africa, whether it's fermented milk products we find in the Caucasus, or fermented tea that we find in Asia. Every culture has fermented something in order to get their body the nutrition it needs to preserve that food for longer, for, for times when there wasn't enough nutrition available. And, you know, to divorce humans from fermented foods is, is literally impossible, you know, um, whether it was to make the water potable. You know, we've been brewing beer since uh, Egyptian times, if not sooner, and part of that was because of the bacteria in the water would have a negative effect on our bodies, but if we fermented it, the healthy bacteria and yeast would then get into it and um, and make it so that we could drink it. And here's an interesting thought for you, Aaron. You right. know, a lot of us love soda, right? We love soda pop. We love the bubbles. We crave that carbonation. I think that we have a physiological desire for that type of sensation because ancestrally, we consumed fermented drinks on a regular basis. So before we ever had you know, commercial beverages sold to us, we would make um, fermented flowers. We would make nettle leaf tea beer. We would make um, these, these very low alcohol fermented beverages that we consumed on a regular basis that would give us the nutrition from the plants we were making it from. And so I think part of what our bodies crave is the B vitamins that are present in the yeast that create the carbonation. And how did we know something was fermenting? Well, we saw the yeast creating bubbles, right? It comes from the word fervere, which means to boil. And so you could see the, the fermentation action happening in the pot. Now, of course, when you didn't know that there were bacteria or yeast way back in ancient times, you assumed there was some kind of like magical force that lived within there. And in a sense, that's, that's true. It is. It is the force. And that is the force that we're putting into our bodies that brings us back into balance. So I want to be very clear. We don't think that kombucha cures anything at all. What we know is that kombucha is a powerful detoxifier. It helps your body to gently get rid of toxins and it's got the healthy bacteria. It brings you back into balance and it cleans your filter. So kombucha specifically is a liver detox and the liver is where we filter a lot of these environmental toxins as well as um, prescription drugs and things like that. So now we have something that cleanses the part of our body that, that keeps the, the heavy stuff out. It's no wonder that it can do so much and seemingly cures so many different things. And you were talking just a little bit about how pops were a drink that we love and that you think that maybe traced back to how originally we drank these is fermented. I know now a lot of people are actually kind of going full circle along with kombucha now. A lot of people are also making probiotic pops such as our good friend Elena with her Culture Club 101. She sells them and mm. Kelly the Kitchen Cop when she spoke at the Wise Traditions Conference in Detroit about going from junk food to real food. She talks about now for her family that she'll make these probiotic sodas. Is this something that you've also gotten into making yourself? Oh, sure. You know, we're not um, mono-fermentationists. We love kombucha. We think of kombucha as a gateway into all these other fun fermented drinks. I mean, there's so much variety out there. It's really fun. One of my favorites is kvass, beet kvass specifically. I just, it, it's pink. You get a fun pink mustache. It's salty. It's earthy. I mean, it's terrific for your blood. And you can make it either with whey or just with salt and beets. Um, some other drinks that we're also selling and cultivating these days are the kefir. So we've got water kefir which is great for people who want like a really easy, quick ferment. It's sugar and water, and you can flavor it any way you like. Um, and 
and sometimes that's a better choice for people who maybe find the flavor of kombucha to be a little too intense because kombucha is an acetic acid ferment, which means it's very similar to vinegar. And for some people, that tartness is just more than they can handle, especially if they've been consuming a diet of processed foods because there's just so much high fructose corn syrup and sugar in all of those foods. Uh, another great one is the milk kefir, which we also have. And in fact, I personally like to make the kefir cheese. So I'll take the milk kefir and then I strain it through a cheesecloth and let all the whey drip out of it. And then I use that instead of yogurt or to, uh, instead of sour cream. And I mean, it's just, it's really delicious and fresh and you can flavor it any way you like. That is great. And it has sort of a similar taste to like a cream cheese. Mm-hmm. And texture and it's really smooth and spreadable. But you know, I think that so does the fad. Soda has only been around for 150 years, whereas fermented drinks have been around for as long as we have. Um, you know, so I really think that we're coming back around full circle to that which we originally started with. And, and that's why soda isn't going to be able to keep up over time. Um, but part of how soda is imitating these uh, soft drinks, right, you know, hard drinks with high alcohol content, soft drinks, low alcohol content. And that's something that I think is also the benefit of these naturally fermented drinks is they have healthy low alcohol, right? So they have very trace amounts of alcohol that doesn't inebriate the body. They can be up to maybe 2% by volume. And historically, we gave them to children. We consumed them ourselves and didn't experience negative effects because of it. Um, but these trace amounts of alcohol, as I mentioned before, relax. You relax your organism. And even if you're confronted with stressful situations, if you're in a relaxed space versus a tense space, just like an injury, right? If your body's relaxed and you fall to the ground, you're not going to be as injured as if you're tense and you fall to the ground and then you really hurt yourself. So that same type of, of situation works with our with our disease, with you know, with all of that stuff too, because that gentle relaxation allows your body to deal with the stress in a, in a more balanced way. You think you would start selling some of these probiotic sodas along with your other products? Well, um, I, I, I'm not doing the kombucha for sale anymore. I still have it to sample and stuff because, you know, my passion has always been to educate others and empower them to do it themselves. And I think it's important that we partner with other people who feel passionate and want to make it for others. Um, in order to get that message out. But ultimately, you know, our vision is that people will be making these at home, that they'll not only be buying them at the store, but also making it at home, just like we see people making wine at home or making beer at home, but also then enjoying what's available to them. And I think we'll see more and more diversity with these probiotic drinks as people kind of catch on to this, this trend because they're so creative. Uh, look, there's a softers out of Northern California. They make these way fermented sodas that are just really lovely, lavender and rose. There's the kefiri. They make really delicious water kefir. They're water kefirs like nothing I've ever had before. And, you know, even to the to level of like something like a cavita, which we see all over the place, which some people think is a kombucha, but in fact, it's a, it's a, it's a kefir water. And then you also have zuke. Zuke, let's not forget them. They've got they've got their whole line of kvasas and they're coming out with a new line of fruit kvasas. So so there's just a lot of room for creativity. There's a lot of room for expression and there's a lot of room to really um, derive a lot of benefit from all the different elements we're including. So whether that's herbs or fruits, vegetables, whatever, all of those healthy elements are pre-digested by the bacteria. The healthy low alcohol makes it easy for your body to absorb the nutrition. The healthy bacteria repopulate your gut and boost your immunity. I mean, it's a win, 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 win <laughs> when you look at it. And they taste amazing. They do. Zuke is a great company. I've had 
Scott Grzybek on my show talk about Zucay, and he explained that he ended up getting into the Vikavas because he saw that there wasn't anyone that was making the kvass. You saw people making the other things, the sauerkrauts and the kombuchas and a lot of other ferments. And he thought that vikavas was a great thing that then he wanted to be the one that makes that. And we are seeing more of them. We were both back at the Santa Barbara Fermentation Festival in August. And you saw there that you had a lot of different companies selling these starter kits. There was a beer starter kit and a wine starter kit. I remember there were also starter kits for probiotic sodas. So you're seeing a lot of these starter kits being sold as well. And well, and that just makes it easy because sometimes our biggest obstacle is just fear. You know, we're unfamiliar with it. We don't know what if we poison ourselves accidentally. And unfortunately, the mainstream media continues to perpetuate that stereotype. You know, they'll talk about the health benefits of commercial kombucha, but then warn you not to make it at home because you might contaminate it. I mean, that's just as silly as saying, well, don't cook anything at home because you might contaminate it. You know, many of these ferments are very um, strong in that they're able to combat other harmful microorganisms or it's very obvious when they are tainted. And so it's easy to discern, oh, well, this isn't a batch I should consume versus this is something I can consume. And then you've got like your sauerkraut, as we said before, or my beet kvass, which gets this whole layer of fuzz that grows on top and I scoop it out and then I drink what's underneath. But, you know, I didn't do that from day one. I had to learn and feel comfortable and, and trust my instincts and know that, that what I was drinking was something that was good for me. And I can tell when a beet kvass is no good because you get that little, like, you're like, oh, that wasn't right, and you just toss it. And that's what trusting your gut is all about because our body, our gut, our enteric system has more neurotransmitters than our brain, and they work together because they're connected through the vagus nerve. And, in fact, you know, the brain in our head is oftentimes out of balance, especially if the brain in our gut is out of balance. And um, if we're in dysbiosis, we've got candida overgrowth or cancer, which also loves sugar and it's demanding more and more sugar, that's a sign that, you know what, something's not quite right here. If you're a picky eater, if you only like processed foods or, or sugary foods and you find other like sour things to be too intense and sour, then that's probably a sign it's time to start shifting into some of these more fermented foods um, and, and start seeing how your body then responds. We'll talk more with Hannah Crum about kombucha and its health benefits, but first, a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. And for the month of July, you get free shipping on orders of 15 pounds or more. Go to the website, organicsproutedflower.net, or call toll-free at 877-401-6837 to start shopping. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Olea Estates Olive Oil has been produced by the Cronus family on a small estate in Sparta, Greece since 1856. The olives are all certified organic and hand-picked. The oil is cold-pressed within 30 minutes and is extra virgin with an acidity of 0.24. I use Alea for all my olive oil needs, 
cooking, baking, salad dressing, hummus, and much more. Olea is distributed in the U.S. by Carl Berger. All products can be ordered on the website oleastates.com or by contacting Carl by email k-a-r-l at oleastates.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. We're in our Wise Traditions speaker series, and today I'm talking to Hannah Crum of Kombucha Camp, who I'm sure a lot of you probably already know from hearing the other episodes. And if not, then this is a great time to learn more of what she's about. She's going to be speaking at the Wise Traditions Conference about kombucha and cancer, and she's been explaining about all of the health benefits of kombucha with cancer and aiding in other diseases and illnesses and just a thing really to reestablish healthy bacteria in your gut. Hannah, you mentioned earlier the Human Microbiome Project. Has that helped expand the popularity of kombucha? Well, I don't know that it has helped expand the popularity of kombucha specifically, but it certainly has raised awareness about the level of importance that um, fermented foods and bacteria have for our health and immunity. Um, I think the awareness about kombucha and fermented foods is stemming from the fact that people are sick of being sick. And our traditional Western medicine, you know, their their preferred methodology is to poison the illness out of you. And um, unfortunately, that makes you feel worse oftentimes. And, and while it can be effective at times, at other times, it doesn't do what it needs to do. And because people are so frustrated by, you know, being put on a whole litany of uh, different pills that create side effects that then they have to take other pills about. And, you know, I think there's just like Western medicine fatigue to a certain extent. And people are like, there's got to be another answer. There's got to be some other way. And this is often what brings them. Unfortunately, it's illness often that brings them to seek out some of these really nourishing, healing foods. But for better or worse, it's all part of the journey. And, and I think in the end, it's for the better because you end up discovering something that makes you feel even better than if you hadn't gotten sick in the first place. And of course, not everybody's coming to fermented foods and kombucha because they're ill. And I do want to mention one other connection between kombucha and cancer that's really kind of big in the commercial arena, and that is GT's Kombucha. Um, GT's is the major uh, national brand in the United States. He also has it in Canada and, and that kind of thing. But um, he kind of is the, is the grandfather of the commercial industry, having started his brand in 95. And the whole reason he started his brand, and you can check this out on his website, is his mother, uh, Lorraine Dave, had a bout of cancer. And um, she'd been drinking kombucha at the time just just for, you know, so her hair wouldn't turn gray, more for, <laughs> for, for those types of benefits rather than a specific health concern. Um, but when she went in, she realized the cancer had metastasized and she attributed that to having drunk the kombucha. She did go through chemo because it was a particularly aggressive cancer and GT witnessed this as a teenager and saw how his mother was benefited by drinking the kombucha through that process. And at 16, this is all exciting, he drops out of high school and starts his kombucha company out of his parents' home. And he has been, like I said, he is the grandfather of the whole commercial industry. And and it also speaks to what's so cool about the kombucha beverage industry is that every brand started as a home brewer. Every brand started as somebody who was making the stuff at home, received a benefit from it, loved to drink it, shared it with their friends, got positive feedback, and they said, hey, you guys should sell this or something. Started, you know, just... It just is a very organic process and there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of love that goes into these products and 
you know, they're, it's, it's just one of these things that, you know, it's not just a flavor in with carbonated water in a cute can, right? It's, you know, not just a, a pretty poison package all wrapped up with a bow, but it's something that is exciting and fun and delivers a, a real nutritional benefit. And I think that's, that's really, people are waking up. They're wanting that kind of benefit as opposed to just the dead food that we're eating all the time. I think so too. Has there been any other research done recently with kombucha? Most, again, most of the research that we're seeing coming out is still being performed on, say, rats and looking at, you know, um, you know, exposing them to specific toxins and seeing how the kombucha reacts. And this, I'll go into those studies in more detail at the talk. But a lot of what we're seeing is they're saying, hey, kombucha can help with this because, again, as, as we say, kombucha is a very powerful detoxifier. And that's part of what makes it different or unique from some of the other ferments. You know, like we said, there's over 500 different types of bacteria that live in and on our body, and we need a diversity of fermented foods in order to help maintain that diversity. However, where kombucha is unique is in that detox process. It creates certain healthy acids, gluconic acid, and that um, binds with heavy metals in the, in the body. So there's, a, there's an acid in the liver called glucuronic acid. It's kind of in debate with kombucha. Some, some more recent research has shown that there is glucuronic acid in kombucha, whereas other research has shown there isn't. But the bottom line is it's made by the liver, and when you drink kombucha, your liver increases its production of this detoxifying acid, glucuronic acid. So when the glucuronic acid binds to a heavy metal, it's a bond that can't be broken. And so when we flush with the water, that helps to release those toxins out of our body. And that is why... I think kombucha is kind of the queen of the ferments because not only does um, do you have the healthy bacteria, but you also have this detox effect. And when we think about why, why kombucha, why is kombucha so special? It's made from tea. And if you Google anything about tea and cancer or tea and health, you find that tea is so high in polyphenols and antioxidants and all these compounds that really help to keep the body in balance. So we're taking something that already has these terrific nutritional value now we're fermenting it, making it easy, easier for our body to absorb that nutrition, to derive that benefit. And we've added the healthy yeast in a living form, as well as the healthy bacteria that are literally, they're like our internet. They're our Facebook. They are what communicates between all the cells and keeps everything functioning as it should. Tea is another great drink with a lot of nutrients to it. And with kombucha, you use caffeinated tea. When I don't drink kombucha, I typically will go for herbal tea, what are your thoughts on the different type of teas as far as the caffeinated ones and the herbal teas? Sure. Well, when we're making kombucha, kombucha is traditionally a black tea ferment. And so there are certain healthy elements present in the, in the tea that nutrify the kombucha culture. Now, again, I mentioned kombucha and all these fermented drinks are uber creative. And so part of what happens is when you grow it, and I know you, you make your own at home, is that they reproduce. And so you end up with extra cultures. You're like, ah, what do I do? They're taking over my countertop. Well, one of the things you can do is get really experimental and make a chamomile kombucha. The problem we see is if we only use chamomile as our main substrate, over time the culture could weaken because chamomile may not have all of the nutritional elements the culture needs. Or we might see that it evolves and adapts to that substrate and then you can make chamomile kombucha all the time. Um, you know, so there's, there's kind of two ways about it. We always want to have a mother culture and tea and sugar, but then from there we can get very creative with all of the babies and that are reproduced through that process. And when you're drinking tea unfermented, what are your thoughts as far as caffeinated versus herbal tea? Well, uh, 
like like we said, it's the tea plant, Camellia sinensis, that has these healthy compounds. But, of course, the herbal teas and tisans all have their own healthy compounds, which is why we consume them in, in that state. So I like to make blends. Um, for instance, the Hannah Special Tea Blend is an all-organic blend of green tea, black tea, white tea, rooibos, and yerba mate. And rooibos is a legume, so it's um, but it's cured similar to tea, green tea. And then yerba mate is a holly plant, a holly tree from South America that is has its own rich culture of uh, in South America of being consumed and and it has caffeine in it, but in a in a form that the body doesn't get that same kind of rush like we do the up and down that we get from coffee. So it's not just about caffeine and and this is something I think we tend to get hung up on in our cultures. We hear one thing, we're like, oh, sugar's bad, all sugar's bad, or caffeine, all caffeine is bad. Well, when it's paired, it's an alkaloid, and when it's paired with other types of alkaloids, it can actually um, have a mellowing or a balancing effect. So the L-theanine, for instance, in tea, is one of those things that balances the caffeine in it, and that's why you don't get that same spiky reaction like you do with the coffee. So you'll sometimes make this blend just for regular tea? Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, I love it. It's like my tea latte in the morning, but then it also makes really delicious kombucha. And it has the benefit of being very nutrifying to the culture. So, um, you know, it, it's just fun when, like I said, you get really creative, whether you make your own tea blends or you experiment with other tea blends. And even the whole tea industry has totally blossomed. You know, tea wasn't really a big thing in the U.S. until kind of like the 70s, 80s, it started picking up. And then, of course, we've seen this huge explosion of artisanal teas and tea blends and exotic teas. And I probably know more about tea than I ever have before. White tea and how that's different from oolong is different from green tea and, you know, um, matcha versus all the other stuff. So uh, this is what I think is really fun about being alive right now is just all the information and and um, accessibility to knowledge that we have at our fingertips because really it's it's so much fun just being alive and reading things and, and understanding how the world works and I know that sounds really generic but you know it's following your passion and whatever interests you and for me it started with kombucha and that has just led me down this rabbit hole of what it means to be a human being which has led me to the bacterio sapiens which has led me to understand what is nutrition and how do we derive it and how do bacteria, you know, serve that as that bridge. And, you know, what I think is really a shame about cancer is the way in which it's been exploited in order to raise money for these, you know, supposed research and stuff. And I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking to any one organization out there, but it just feels like all the the runs and the awareness and this and that, they're raising money, but there's no cures. You know, they're not talking about prevention in the same way. They're not looking to, well, why aren't they doing studies on kombucha if it's already been shown to have efficacy, right? Because you don't make the same money on something that you can make at home for pennies a glass versus an expensive chemical treatment that they have to straight to you um, in, a, in a medical facility. And so, it's just disappointing that while the opportunity is there to really help people, that opportunity isn't taken advantage of. So in addition to all these talks that you've been given recently and the upcoming ones that you have, you had hinted earlier that within this busy schedule, you're also somehow found time to write a book. So can you tell us a little about what the book will be about? Well, as you can imagine, it'll be about kombucha. Um, it's uh, it's going to be 400 pages, full color photographs about, it'll be part recipe book, part technique, you know, talking about all the brewing and process in that. And then part of it will be the history of kombucha, both kind of the mythology around it. Um, we're also in the process of researching, trying to figure out, you know, how far back does the information go? 
can we find it referenced in ancient Chinese culture or are we just you know wondering did it actually come from that time period or not so there's you know we're doing a lot of fun research we're connecting with a lot of people and just unearthing a wealth of information about it so it'll be very unique there's a couple other books about kombucha coming out later this year not by myself um, that will be more kind of recipes and health benefits and that stuff but this book hopes to to be um, you know kind of like the art of fermentation but just that kind of massive tome about it and um, we're really excited about that to that to come out and um, looking forward to sharing some of the more innovative recipes that we've been developing. One of them I'll just throw out to you because I know you've had a chance to try it is the SCOBY fruit leather. Love it. So this this is uh, what we call close the loop in practice where we can take all of the byproducts of kombucha and turn them into some other thing that's useful. So in this case what we're doing is we're taking the extra scovies. So this is bacterial cellulose that the bacteria have grown. And I always throw in a healthy glob of the yeast so we get some B vitamins in there. Throw it in a blender with some fruit. Spread it out on a dehydrator and dehydrate it at a very low temperature. And it turns into kind of like a fruit roll-up where we roll it up and it becomes a healthy uh, probiotic snack that anybody with any dietary can, can consume. And it's a great way to use those extra scovies you have lying about. Yes, because as you explained, scobies, they can multiply the more and more kombucha you make. Another thing you make with the scobies that I love is the scoby candy. Mmm, yeah. There's a great recipe for that in Sandor's book as well. Um, and uh, anyone who doesn't know who Sandor Katz is, he's the godfather, grandfather, god, whatever, <laughs> he of fermentation. And so, uh, you know, his, his books are a whole compendium of information about all different types of ferments. And one of the things he included was this scoby candy recipe. And in fact, in the Philippines, they grow just the culture, and it's called nada de coco. So they grow this bacterial cellulose, very the Acetobacter zolinum, which is the same bacteria in kombucha, on coconut, and it becomes this kind of jelly, jello-type snack that's consumed all over um, the Philippines and Japan and, and Asia. So it's, um, you know, people have been consuming the bacteria for a while, just they may not have known it. And another use I know of kombucha is using it in place of vinegar. Are you going to include some of those recipes in the book? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, every day. So I have... Of course, every vessel that you see on my site is in my kitchen, and I like to use my oak barrel specifically. So oak barrel kombucha is a really fun way to make kombucha. As you imagine, oak mellows the flavor of other alcohols and things like that. It ends a, it lends a unique flavor to the kombucha. It's very mellow and has a rich kind of oaky depth to it. But I like to use my oak barrel as my vinegar barrel. So I let it sit in there really long, and then anytime I need some vinegar for my bone broth or to make my a dressing, my salad dressing, or make heirloom tomato salad, or I make a potato salad, just anything that I might want vinegar, I just grab a little bit off the tap and, and there I've got it. So do you use kombucha completely in place of apple cider vinegar for your bone broth? I do, actually, um, because I'm making it at home and it's really inexpensive and it's got all the health benefits of tea. It's not acidic as, say, the apple cider vinegar, so if you're looking for something that's got more of that astringency, um, you're going to want a more traditional vinegar. So acetic, uh, I'm sorry, vinegars are diluted to a 5% acetic acid solution, although they tend to be much higher. And kombucha comes in around a 1% to 2% acetic acid solution. So it's not going to be as sour as your traditional vinegar, but it will still have all the preservative benefits. And so every once in a while, I'll throw in a splash of red wine vinegar or something else if I really want to boost the tartness. And when you use kombucha in place of vinegar in a recipe, do you use the same amount of kombucha that the recipe calls for for vinegar? Recipe? What's that? Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> 
I'm an eyeball taster. So, and I don't mean tasting eyeballs. I mean, I like to kind of uh, guesstimate at how much I'm putting in there. And then I also like to taste and use my taste buds to guide me as to, oh, I should do more of this or less of that. Um, but yeah, typically I'm putting in, so for my bone broths, I'm putting in about a cup to two cups of the of the kombucha vinegar in place of the apple cider vinegar. So maybe a little more than I would if it was just straight vinegar, but, um, but yeah, it all, it all, it's really by taste more than anything else. And in addition to the book that you're working on, is there any other upcoming developments for kombucha camp? Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, um, we're also forming the kombucha brewers association. This is a kombucha brewers international. So this is an international trade group pulling everybody together so that we can do class marketing and help educate more consumers about the health benefits of kombucha and not just the consumers, but the retailers, right? Because sometimes unless you're at a Whole Foods, right, where Whole Foods loves kombucha and they sell a whole bunch of it um, and they know how to sell it. A lot of grocery stores, they don't quite know where do I do with this or where do I put this or why should I have kombucha on tap or why is this something that I want to sell? And so this is part of what we're doing is, is getting that education and information also as I mentioned before, a lot of the research isn't done on people. We want to start collaborating with institutions and, you know, similar to an American Gut Project, figure out a way in which we can get more of this research done so that we're, we're providing additional claim. You know, again, our, our belief is that, you know, the kombucha, it's not the kombucha, it's it's uh, it's bringing your immune system back into balance so that your body can heal itself. But as we live in this society that's constantly looking for, well, what does the science say? What does the research say? We want to have studies that we can point to and say, well, here's why this works and here's why this is effective. Um, because that frees the companies up from having to put claims on their labels and getting, getting in trouble and that kind of thing. So just getting quality information, quality research out to the broader community. That's how we hope to achieve our mission, which is healing the world one gut at a time. You know, we know we can't do it alone. We have to do it in partnership and not can do it alone. We don't want to do it alone. I mean, the whole point of why we're alive, right, Aaron, right. is so that we can have community and we can connect with each other and we can, um, you know, do build our world together. Uh, so that's really what we're hoping to do by reaching out and creating this strong uh, union of, of kombucha brewers who are just, they're passionate. They're passionate about their product. They're passionate about wellness and getting people healthy again. And this is just the tip of the iceberg for this fermentation movement. I'm, I'm really excited to see where we're heading in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, because I think we're going to see some really dynamic changes. I think so, too. And as I had mentioned at the beginning of the program, you'll be speaking at the Wise Traditions Conference. We also have your booth there. Yes. And we'll have the SCOBY Petting Zoo. So um, if you're in Atlanta, you got to come by and come pet your cultures. We'll have a kombucha culture, a jun culture, uh, and kefir grains as well. So milk kefir and water kefir. So you can come and get up close and personal with the grains and feel them and learn about them and, and just kind of dispel some of that, that fear that we have about um, these bacteria who are our friends, who we've evolved with and who, when without home, really we cannot function. And the Wise Traditions Conference is in a month, but more recently, this Sunday, you'll be speaking at the Green Festival in Los Angeles. What's your presentation at the Green Festival going to be about? Sure, it's kombucha culture, how to befriend your bacterial brethren. So again, a lot of what we do is basic education. Many people, although they may have heard of kombucha or they're drinking kombucha, still don't really understand what is it, why does it work? And so we demystify that process. First of all, by showing a live demo, which is, you know, if I just do a demo, it's over in five minutes because it's really easy to make kombucha. 
but but more of what I do is help to educate people and understand, you know, why is it it's important to incorporate not just kombucha, but all fermented foods into our diet and, and how to dispel some of the fear that has been brought on by this germ warfare culture that we've been living in and um, realizing that bacteria are our allies and nature is our ally. And when we learn how to leverage nature to create novel solutions to our problems. In fact, what we'll discover is that we're not on the edge of running out of resources, but we live in a world of infinite resource. We just have to learn how to work with nature in order to make that possible. And as you speak at all these different events from the Green Festival to the Wise Traditions Conference, I know there's some overlap in the ideologies and the ethos and interests of these people, but there are also some difference in the type of people that attend. So. Do you find yourself changing your presentations a little bit depending on the type of event and the audience? Well, I think more of what I change is the the level of um, information I'm providing. So, um, because kombucha is so you, it's ubiquitous. It's it's one of these things that can be consumed by any dietary. So whether you're a raw foodist, whether you're a vegan, whether you're paleo, primal, real food, you know the list goes on and on. You pick it. Um, any dietary that you can think of, kombucha works. So, or not just works, but but fits with their protocol for the most part. So, kombucha is something that anybody at any time can start incorporating into their diet, regardless of what kind of diet they're consuming. Look, I started with a standard American diet, a sad diet. So, um, you can incorporate it at any point in your life journey, your health journey, and receive a positive benefit from it. So, um, more than anything, what what changes is just. To what level I get esoteric about the bacteria or, you know, who's open to hearing the kind of ideas I have because, you know, they get a little esoteric at times. That they do. We're just about out of time, but before we go, tell the listeners where they can find the website for Kombucha Camp. Absolutely. It's at kombuchacamp.com and that's camp with a K because I'm cute and clever just like that. And really because it started as an educational website. But check us out, kombuchacamp.com. we got information. Our YouTube channel has videos. Our store has all the supplies you could possibly need to get started, whether that's with kombucha, kefir, or jun. Um, you know, our goal is to make fermentation fun, accessible, easy, and, and sexy. <laughs> so we're, we're all over the interwebs, Facebook, and Pinterest, and Google+, and whatnot. We, we encourage you to reach out and connect with us. Um, you know, like the SCOBY, we, we envision our culture is just growing bit by bit, piece by piece. And the more that we throw out our little tendrils and connect with each other, the stronger our community grows. Well, Hannah, it's been great having you on the program, and I'm sure that you will be on again at some point. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. As Hannah and I had discussed briefly, this Saturday, October 19th, and Sunday, October 20th, the LA Mart in downtown Los Angeles will be holding the annual Green Festival. There will be lots of great speakers on real food there, including Hannah Crum, West LA Weston Price chapter leader Victoria Block, as well as Michelle Green Queen Carroll talking about eco bartending, and a number of speakers talking about GMOs. There will also be a number of great booths. On Saturday afternoon, you can have the chance to talk with me in person at the Weston A. Price booth. For more information, Go to the website greenfestivals.org. Also, on Saturday, October 20th at 1 p.m., the Culture Club 101 in Pasadena will be having a cooking class on making healthy Halloween treats, including marshmallow ghosts, chocolate bliss bats, and caramel popcorn balls, all of which you'll get to take home to share. To register for the class, go to the webpage cultureclub101.com. 
For a more detailed list of events in the Los Angeles and Pasadena area, check out the community calendar on the Weston A. Price Pasadena's website at westonaprecepasadena.blogspot.com. That's all for this week. Next week, I'll be interviewing GMO fighters Joseph Mercola, Joel Salatin, and Jeffrey Smith. For more information on my guests, as well as to listen to past episodes of my program, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Okay, well,